Welcome to episode 11 of Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti. I'm the founder of V.02. In this episode, I spoke with Corey Leslie. Corey is the head cross-country and distance coach at Arizona State University. He's also one of the latest coaches to join our app. You can learn more through the link in the episode description. From 2010 to 2017, Corey is one of the best middle distance runners in the United States. At Ohio State, under two-time Olympian Robert Gary, Corey finished third at NCAAs in the steeple and also had multiple top five finishes at U.S. championship meets. He wrapped up his career with PRs of 3.53 in the mile, 8.19 in the steeplechase, and 13.38 in the 5K. In this episode, we dig into his background, how he got into running, what drove him as an athlete, and how he developed his passion for coaching. Corey's very open about his dad, and Coach Gary shaped his perspective working with young athletes. We also talk about managing a college team during the pandemic. Hope you enjoy this episode. Corey Leslie, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. How's it going in Arizona? You're in Tempe now, right? In Tempe, it's uh, it's a little warm. I think the, uh, we're supposed to get up to 109 today. So definitely one of those where we, we get up a little bit earlier to make sure we can get uh, our work done and, and our miles in before uh, it gets too hot. <laughs> so a little different from where you grew up, but I, we're going to get to where you grew up because I've, I've got conflicting information. Your Wikipedia says something different than your your. Arizona State bio. I have a Wikipedia? (laughs) Yeah, man, you're famous. I'm on it. It must be for something I didn't do right. (laughs) I wonder who, so you have no idea who edited it? No. Nice. Now now when this is over, I feel like, and you know what's actually funny is there was a day at practice last year where one of the guys was like, coach, you got a Wikipedia page. Like, And I was like, what what are you talking about? And it was one of those it happened so briefly and they were talking about something that, that I never... So you're the second person who, who's now brought that up to me. Yeah. So on Wikipedia, it has you raised in Sandusky, Ohio. Is that correct? So, uh, I mean, Sandusky was born in Sandusky, uh, spent early childhood in Sandusky, and then we, we moved two miles away into kind of right the neighboring town here on Ohio. Ah, okay. So that's the deal. But yeah, okay. I mean, essentially, I mean, if I, I would say that, you know, even now, oh, I'm from Sandusky, Ohio. Sandusky, Ohio, which is, it's a Lake Erie town, right? Yeah. Yeah. We live right on the lake. I mean, and walk out the back door and, and can be there. Really? Um, that's interesting. I've never, well, I guess I've heard of Sandusky, but I've never, I don't know much about it. Yeah. No. I think people are either Tommy boy or Cedar Point. Ooh, that, that's, that's, how, that's how people know Sandusky, Ohio. Tommy boy. Oh, that's amazing. Um, that's where I think I've heard of it. That's incredible. I'll, yeah. That, yeah. If you're not from the Midwest and you haven't been to Cedar Point, then the only reason you know Sandusky, Ohio is, is from Tommy Boy. Is your family still there? They are. So my parents and one of my sisters and yeah, I mean, a lot of my family is kind of up uh, from Toledo to Cleveland. We're, we're very much uh, from Northern Ohio. Okay. What's the beach? What's like a Lake Erie beach like? I mean, <laughs> so Cedar Point is the big amusement park. And I would say the big beach is just, I mean, Cedar Point Beach that kind of spans along uh, Lake Erie for, you know, six, seven miles. And I'm sure there's some other ones, but the beach I grew up on and the beach I grew up going to was, I mean, it was that six mile stretch. And so unless you're kind of taking the ferry or hopping on a boat to go to one of the islands, uh, whether mm. Kelly's Island or Putin Bay, kind of that, that right, Lake Erie Beach is, is right where we're at. Yeah. So it's says like 77,000 residents. That's I guess that's similar to where I grew up, kind of like old industrial town in Pennsylvania, about the same population. But was what was running like there? Was it was it a good place to run and train? So, I mean, uh, not in, in high school. I mean, we would go to a metro park a lot. And, and it's now where my parents live. I, I can run to the metro park in under two minutes. But again, it's um, I was just there this summer and I actually this 
whole pandemic has kind of caused, you know, as a group, uh, you know, I challenge the team to go out and, and fall back in love with running and, and, you know, let's get better at some th- some things that we haven't been good at in the past and develop uh, some areas where we're weak. And, you know, one of the things that I'd never done in my running career was run a hundred mile week. And so I actually snuck away to see my parents for a week. And, you know, I was like, if there's a time to tackle it, I'm, I'm not sure I can get a hundred miles in, in, in Tempe in the summer. So I did it while I was back home and I did most of my miles at the Metro Park. But I mean, if you run the perimeter, it's maybe three miles. And, and so it was uh, it was a lot of miles done in a very small area, but uh, it's soft surface. It's pretty flat. And so uh, for me, when I was in high school, it was great because I was only running 25 to 35 miles. You, you know, had I been a collegiate athlete or post collegiate athlete trying to train there, it may have been a little bit different of a story. So you were you were a pretty low mileage guy in high school. I was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was um, by design or you just didn't know any better. You didn't have the. Coach no, no. Play? I mean, fun, no, I mean, in, in my opinion, I had the best high school coach in the country. Uh, it was my dad. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, I think uh, he certainly prepared me well for what my career ended up being. But it, it was one of and I think part of the reason why it wasn't higher towards especially the end of my high school career is, you know, I come from a family of runners and, and everybody, everybody ran my parents, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, but it, it took me a little bit longer to, I would say, kind of go all in on it or fall in love. You know, I was very much baseball, basketball, football, you know, up through junior high, you know, ran track, but it really wasn't until my junior year of high school that I think I really was like, all right, I'm all in. This is what I love. This is what I want to do. And, and, and I'm thankful that my dad was the high school coach. He coached my sisters in high school, coached myself, but he, wow. he never forced me to, you know, be the best or, you know, to do all the little things that I, you know, I eventually kind of started doing. And, and it, it was never one of those things where I had to be all in. And, and it very, he, he was so good about just letting me naturally fall in love with it. And I think it, in those early years, I think I really lucked out a little bit on just hating to lose and being ultra competitive that I was able to have some success. But it really wasn't until my junior year when uh, gave up basketball after the cross country season and really started to focus on, on running that I made kind of those next jumps into being you know able to do it at the next level was it um did it challenge your relationship with your dad at all as your coach or no it was no not at all I I mean and and still one of the stories that I think sticks in my mind the most was my freshman year we were on our way to the first practice and he was like I will give you five dollars a day if you can call me coach uh while we're at (laughs) practice and it 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 lasted about 30 minutes (laughs) so I never once had five dollars but it it was and like I said before I'm I'm so competitive Competitive and I hate to lose. And so I, I, I was a stubborn high school kid that, you know, had a lot of growing up to do. And, and there were practices where I didn't do as well as I wanted and I'd throw spikes and, and I'd be frustrated. And, uh, but he never, he, I mean, it was so unbelievable. He never brought it home with us. I mean, we'd walk in the door my mom would say, how was practice? And no matter how bad it really was, it was <laughs> good, you, you know? And so it, I was so lucky and, and so fortunate that, I mean, like I said, I, my, career i don't think i'd be a coach right now if it weren't for not only him wow. but you know the people i'd had the opportunity uh to be coached by along the way and people i've had the opportunity to work with along the way i mean it was people that just they let me grow up and they were very patient with me i mean from him and especially you know my high school years and coach gary at the collegiate and professional level you know they let me kind of they guided me they believed in me and you know they were patient with me while i kind of naturally had some growing up to do along the way so step back a little bit because i want to hear your, um, how did your parents get into running? Was it just, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, my dad and his brothers were, were runners in high school. And so, you know, I think my uncle, I think his PR was four eighteen in high school. And so he had the family PR for, for a long while. And so that my dad's whole side of the family, you know, where they were runners and beyond high school, you know, they started running marathons. And I think after, you know, he and my mom were married, then my mom started to get into to running and then my obviously my sisters followed suit and so um you know they've all i'm actually the only one in my immediate family that hasn't done a marathon so i think uh that's still one uh, uh I, i'm not sure if i'll ever get around to it uh, i enjoy coaching and, and helping athletes pair for that more than i do uh myself and so and, and i think that's where i grew up going to road races you know they, they were running you know the community 5ks and i do the fun runs and and, and everything like that and so they've been into it for since i could walk and, and I think, you know, that that's really where it came from and what put me around the sport at an early age. Even even when I was in junior 
high and, and playing football and doing some of those other things. I still spent my Saturdays at my sister's cross country meets and, and you know, all of that. So I, I've been around the sport for as long as I can remember. What was the catalyst for them getting involved that that early? Was it just the town or was there were they inspired by like an Olympian or, or a moment? Do you know? You know, I, I don't think I mean, I think, uh, you know, we probably even my dad would say I think he would have preferred to be a baseball player. Uh, you know, myself, a basketball player, but I think, uh, whether it was talent or, uh, athletic limitations, you know, really just kind of, uh, pushed us and allowed us to find, find running. And, you know, and I think, you know, as I do now, now, if I don't get out and go for a run a day, it just, it doesn't feel right to me. And there's very much, um, it's a priority in my life and, and certainly, uh, something that, you, you know, I'm not sure I could ever completely get away from. Yeah, that's cool. So you were, you were an athlete growing up. Well, you probably, it sounds like you were hooked just similarly to, to I, like as a, as a younger person, just getting dragged to those weekend road races. And I, I didn't really appreciate them at first just because I was in other sports. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and nothing like uh, getting up at 630 <laughs> to head off to a meet that you really could care less about. Yeah. And for me, there was always as much as I hated it. And then all of a sudden at the end of the meet, there's, you know, the one mile or the half mile fun run. And it doesn't matter whether you're a runner or not. If you're, if you're talented and you hate to lose, you can kind of suck it up and, and go uh, tough out, you, you know, two and a half or three minutes worth of running to, to beat some other kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you mentioned being competitive. I think that was it. It was, it was seeing, I, I was dragged more to road races on the weekend, but I, th- I think that seeing my older brother bring home a large trophy was the moment that it did it for me. It was like, whoa, I want one of those things. Like if he has it, I've got to have one of those, you know? And that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was like purely competitive at that point. And then it sounds like you didn't, you sort you were into basketball, right? And, and what was the moment? It was just a matter of like a calculation, like I'm better at running. So now it's time to, to shift my focus. Yeah. yeah and it was, I mean, and I also just, I, I fell in love with it. I mean, I still, mm. uh, basketball is my first love. I mean, I, I can sit and watch any basketball game, college or professional played by anybody and, and get, find a reason to, to watch the entire thing. I mean, it's certainly, it's a sport that I just absolutely love, but you, you know, I did, I, I, I fell in love with running and, and I grew, I mean, kind of, and it took over my love for basketball. And so that, that was very much then when, when I finally had that, and I think it really came after my junior cross country season, you know, really had a breakthrough at, at the state meet. And so it went from my freshman year, not even making the Ohio state meet to making it and being, uh, on the last page of results as a sophomore to, you know, being, I think, um, eighth as a junior, I think that success at that meet was, I can do it at this level. And, and, you know, in in my opinion, you know, Ohio always has just such a deep and talented, talented group of high school athletes, um, that to have that success and to see where some of those guys that had just barely beat me, where they were going to school and what, you know, as they were taking those steps to run at the next level was kind of like, man, I, I can do this at a really high level potentially. And for me, that was kind of the catapult. And then, you know, didn't play basketball that winter and, you know, ended up that spring running 408 for 1600, 150 for 800. And then I think that was kind of the moment when it was everything kind of shifted and was not only can you do this, but you can do it at the highest level. Well, what's really cool to hear, man, is is generally from my experience, runners at that level, it's so intense, right? At a young age and they're generally very competitive people. Um, and then they go right into college and it's, again, it's very time um, intensive and intense and stressful. And then you, you see a lot of them move away from the sport. I think they kind of get burned out, but you, it sounds like you had a real love for the sport first and foremost. It wasn't just that competitive side, like I'm good. I want to win. I want to get to the next level and see how fast I can go. It sounds like you really loved the sport. I, I grew to love it more and more as I got older. Early on, it was more of a competitive thing. Yeah. And, and I think when you're doing it at, at a level like that, it, it's if you don't love the sport, it's you yeah. are going to get burned out and, and you are going to kind of take a different path and move away from it because you have to be willing to fail and to, you, you know, not have great performances and, and to get your butt kicked. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, whenever, you know, I'm talking at a camp or uh, talking to a group of athletes, they, everybody 
everybody always wants to hear, you know, what was it like to run for Nike and, and to make U.S. teams? But I think the most trying part of my career was, you know, people don't even realize I didn't even make a Big Ten final, the final at the conference meet until my junior year of college. Wow. You know, I, I struggled for almost three entire years at, at the collegiate level before I finally had success. I mean, the same way it took me three years at the high school level to make that big jump into kind of have my, okay, I can do this at the next level. It took me those same three years in college. And again, I said it earlier, it, wow. it all goes back to, I, I'm not sure had I not had my dad as my high school coach and, and certainly coach Gary as my collegiate and professional coach, I, I don't think I would, I wouldn't have made it as far as I did as a um, collegiate and professional athlete. And certainly again, th those are, you know, between them and the other coaches that I've had the opportunity to work for have kind of molded me into, you know, uh, where I am in this profession. And so I, I've been very fortunate and very lucky. I think a lot of the philosophy and uh, mannerisms that I try and carry myself with as a coach now is, is attributed to, you know, the people that I've had the opportunity to run for and work with. That's great. So before I want to recap just high school and then get into college a little bit more. But before we do that, I've got to ask, um, did you watch The Last Dance? I'm assuming you, you didn't miss I, an episode. I, I did. I, I did. And um, I am, you, you know, I, I'm a, a LeBron guy through and through. And if you're asking me to pick, I, I'm taking LeBron. Uh, but I mean, I, and again, if I if I grew up, you, you know, maybe it's because I'm from Ohio, you know, grew up, you, you know, Cavs fan, parents were season ticket holders. I mean, that that's what I grew up on. So uh, but, so this is interesting because I, I grew up on the Bulls. Um, so how old are you now? I actually, I don't know. I, I got to go back I'm, to Wikipedia. I'm, I'm, I'm 30. You're 30. Okay. So I got you by 10 years, man. So the Bulls, so we got two generations here. I like this. So the Bulls, that was my era. Um, I'm not from Chicago, but I definitely rooted for Jordan pretty heavily. I just was just a big fan growing up. Um, so this is interesting. So what was it like for you to watch? Because you didn't grow up during that era. I was sort of reliving it, you know, and you were for you, this was kind of like you were all LeBron, right? So I, I find often that people that grew up in the LeBron era, it's like LeBron's the best and and, 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 and that's, yeah. you know, I'm a LeBron fan, but I think, I mean, I'd be as so a kid, you know, like when, when I'm out on the basketball court and when I was playing in, in junior high and high school, you, you're trying to be Jordan. You're trying to be, you know, for me, it was uh, Jordan was the guy early on. And then I was a big Allen Iverson fan. And so that was kind of, I mean, I was trying to be AI out on court, but when you grow up, I mean, you're watching, you're emulating Jordan. Like that's who you're trying to be. I, I don't think uh, many people aren't, aren't out there trying to, you know, do some of the things LeBron can do uh, just because think yeah. he's on another planet. You, you know, he's a different specimen. I mean, he, I mean, nobody's built like that. And so, whereas Jordan, you felt like you could do some of the things that he can do. Uh, you well, know, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I, th I think that to me, I've always looked at it like physically that that's a big part of LeBron's advantage. Um, whereas what I appreciated about Jordan was that, and same with Kobe, Kobe was similar. He obviously modeled himself like to after Jordan to a T, you know, and um, but I think what was cool about Jordan was just that he clearly like just kept getting better, you know, and, and his at work ethic and the way that he just kept improving. I mean, this is a guy, everyone knows the story, like he, you know, he got cut from his high school team. Right. Yep. Um, so that that part of that story, but also um, someone said about the documentary, like one of the amazing things about Jordan was his ability to stay present, that he was like a mystic and, and his ability to do that. And um, that's that was a big part of what I got out of the, the documentary and just kind of watching him and um, just how consistent he was it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and I try, you know, when I send out, you, you know, a, whether a weekly or a monthly grid to the team when, you know, we're yeah. trying to, you know, plan training and do things like that. I, I, a lot of times it's a Jordan quote that goes on there and, and you, you know, he's nice. Uh, you certainly, you will probably win a debate. Who's better Jordan or LeBron. I mean, he, um, and I'm biased. And so I, I, I will always, uh, wrongfully yeah. maybe argue LeBron, but I mean, I think, you know, like you said, I mean, he's arguably the greatest athlete, um, that a lot of us will have ever been able to watch and see. And, uh, that documentary, I mean, I think it's hard to not, if you weren't a fan of Jordan or, you know, you wanted to argue the other side, it's not hard. It's pretty hard to not look in the mirror and be like, uh, they, he may be the best. Yeah. Yeah. 
So real quickly, in high school, um, a couple of quick highlights just so we get a sense. You you mentioned 150 in the 800. That was in high school? Yeah. Wow. So you were actually, the 800 was your event coming out of high school. It was. Uh, so I, I ran 150, uh, 408. I'd run 349 for 1500. Okay. And so, you know, it was definitely a um, 800, 1500 meter kind of yeah. middle distance focus, I would say. Uh, we were actually... Uh, looking at it the other day and i think i only ran four 3200 meter races in high school yeah yeah i mean i was the same way i just kind of loved the 800 the, the mile but i probably should have been more focused on on the 3200 but, um, but i will it, it from the start i mean even before i had even gotten to college i, I mean this people was very much an event that i knew i was going to explore and, and i think um just because of basketball background you think yeah and, and I, there was something about the event that that drew me to it and you know even take out you know i think people always well it was a natural fit with coach gary being a two-time olympian in the event but you know really that didn't play into it at all i mean i wouldn't matter what school i went to i mean it was definitely it was an event that i knew i was going to at least attempt so high school was pen relays you won right in the mile i i did i did uh what was that like that was 2008 yeah and and so you know what's what's funny i mean i I would say certainly one of the i mean the only race i ever ran at pen you know in college we went to drake i mean it was unlike anything i'd ever been a part of and you know of course it didn't get to appreciate it as as much as i would have wanted to because it was one of those things where every (laughs) state is a little bit different and you know for us the only way or the state of Ohio would clear me to go run pen relays on Friday was if I'd be back on Saturday for our high school team's meet and I had to run an event at that. And so it was, wow. we got to, we got to pen Thursday night. I ran on Friday and then we drove, you know, the eight and a half hours back so I could be at my high school meet uh, to run with the team the next day. And so, you, you know, it was feeling like, you know, I would have loved to have just taken, taken in the experience, but I mean, and if you've ever been to pen relays, you know, you don't go in the stadium, you, you spend 60 minutes yeah. before you race in the little corral you run and then you get escorted off so it's like i didn't get to even spend any time in the stadium watching the meet or doing anything uh but i mean you look at you know um obviously robbie andrews has has become a friend of mine and you know he and i got in a pretty good i I don't even know if i'd call it a battle it was i think i got the early jump on him with 300 to go and then thankfully that race was not uh two meters longer he probably (laughs) so he was doing that like he was still coming back from big from behind oh Um, my gosh i mean is there a video I, I, I haven't seen that race is oh it, i'm, I'm sure there is I, and I, th- I, I got the jump on them and i think at one point i probably had 30 meters on the field and i, I don't know how he made up that much ground but yeah he went into typical robbie mode uh, he probably closed in 25 or, or so and, and i mean he yeah thankfully the line the the straightaway at penn is short because uh or i would have been in some real trouble that's awesome i'd love to see a video of that um so yeah pen relays is always special i was a philly guy in in college so um that was always a highlight of the year um so i wanted to ask about that so you get recruited, obviously, Ohio guy, Ohio State, the steeple was sort of on your ra- radar. They've yeah. got Robert Gary there. And um, so tell us a little bit about just recruiting and what the transition was like from 25 miles a week to to college. Yeah. And, and I think I could go back. It, what's what's really funny is it's I mean, I did what we, you, you know, we tell most college kids not to do, um, you, you know, <laughs> pick a school for for the coach. You, you know, growing up, I actually I, I was not. In, Ohio. in fact, I was anti-Ohio State just because, you know, so much of my extended family was um, all Ohio State fans and Ohio State people, you know, but neither of my parents, you know, they went to other colleges in Ohio. And so yeah. I was, I wanted to be, I was the guy on Ohio State Michigan weekend rooting for Michigan just to be the oddball out. Um, and so I was, <laughs> e- even when I started the recruiting process, um, I initially took an unofficial visit to Ohio State because I knew I had a connection with Coach Gary when he came to my house and it was I was at least going to give him that and yeah. I got on my unofficial and I was like man there's no way I can't come back for an official and, and I came back and it was one of those things where it was sitting there with my parents one day and I was like hey, I'm gonna go to Ohio State and I couldn't even believe that I was saying it 
<laughs> but it, it, I mean, it, it was very much, I mean, it was one of those right away personality. Um, yeah. It just, it, it felt right. And, and it was two, two hours away from home, which I think initially I was, would have liked it to be a little bit further. But again, I mean, it, it, it really was, um, he, coach Gary and I had, had a great connection and, and I still I mentioned it and I'm sure I'll get into it more later on. But I mean, if it weren't for his constant belief in me and his patience with me early on, you, you know, like you said, starting out at 25 miles a week. I mean, to kind of all of a sudden you factor in a collegiate, you know, workload from a track and field and cross country standpoint, it's going to take time to uh, not only to adjust to that level, but also the body to to reap the rewards of it. And, and so I, I was just I, I was lucky in the fact that, you, you know, I think it, when you're at that level, very few college coaches will give someone three years to, you know, develop and, and find the right path. Yeah. So you so what was it, do you think, that where you struggle that it took so long? I mean, oftentimes the low mileage runners come in, they, they might have a rough first year, first few seasons, um, and then start to, to adapt a little bit. But but how come it took so long, you think? Uh, I, and it was one of those things, I think it was a combination of needing to develop and, and understand when I could push myself and when I couldn't, you know, it was, and maybe it would have come a year earlier, but I mean, like a lot of college kids, if I felt good on an easy run, I was running harder than I needed to. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of times that I'd get to that those championship seasons of the year and I just run my body so ragged from overrunning all these things I didn't have to do because I felt like I constantly was trying to prove something and we'd get to the championship meets and, and I wouldn't have it and I wouldn't make finals and so I think it took just some maturing and it and it really is one of those things that we'd like to be able to coach but it, it's something that a lot of times student athletes have to be able to figure out on their own or you know have the ability to trust the coach when they're saying you don't have to run that hard all the time you have to listen to your body and you have to be willing to back off uh, and not get carried away just because you feel like you can. So there was no group dynamic or pressure from the coach to, to say, hey, you know, you got to back off or. Um, oh, no, no. I mean, he would he would try and tell me. But I mean, like I, I mean, yeah. like any other stubborn college kid, I was, hey, I feel yeah. good. I'm going to go. Was that sort of the team dynamic? I mean, was it just kind of like we don't we don't jog on easy days? Like if you get into a rhythm, things no, might pick I, up. And, and you would certainly you would have, you know, a lot of times even, you know, one of my training partners who I've been trained with post-collegiately, Jeff C. And for a while we had Dan Hewling and Brian Olinger, you know, yeah. there were days where, you know, that post-collegiate group would be out there with us and they'd be running slower than the college guys. But still, <laughs> you, you know, you, as a freshman and sophomore, you're not thinking, oh, maybe I should be doing what they're doing. You're in your head. You're thinking, oh, I have those guys on the ropes today and it's an easy Thursday run. And, and so, you know, our, our brains worked a little bit differently, you know, when you're 18, 19, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait, these are the guys I'm trying to be. If they're running slower on these days, yeah. I should be doing what they're doing. Yeah, I remember my first college race in at Van Cortland Park, cross country, freshman year. I'll never forget. I could still picture the warm up, like who was in front of me on the warm up, like what I can picture the day, what it looked like. Because I remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I just ran part of my race in that warm up. <laughs> like what? Yeah, like, we were out there flying. I was exhausted. I'm like, oh, now I got to run five mile race. Like this isn't going to work. So freshman year was was brutal. I interviewed a former NAU guy on on the show, Harvey Nelson, was one of our earlier episodes. And he he talked a little bit about like the dynamic being like you were kind of shunned if you were actually running too fast on your easy days. And that was oh yeah. That was opposite of what I grew up with. There luckily there were a couple um seniors on the team who kind of grabbed me on easy days and said, Listen, you know, you shouldn't be trying to prove anything today. You should be recovering. And that that's probably a much slower pace than the guys up front. You know, you're not recovering. And I was kind of like, what? Like, yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, and so it was definitely one of those things where I think the second, and it was, I mean, a coach can tell you however many times that you should be doing it, but you have to, you know, he doesn't get to run every step of the way with you. You have to be able to have that relationship with your coach and say, all right, I can take it easy. I don't have to run six minute pace on all my easy runs. I don't have to run seven minute pace even on all my easy runs. And it's very much one of those things like you even said in the workouts i remember i was at the my first diamond league race and i'm watching ezekiel kemboy warm up i mean reigning you know world champion olympic champion, and i'm like does he know that we're actually getting ready to run i mean he you would have thought he was race walking you, you know his warm-up and you know lo and behold i'm thinking oh my gosh I, I don't know if he knows what we're actually about to do and then he, i think he ran 801 or something to win and i was like all right he maybe i should be following his lead a little bit more 
So Ohio State has a tradition um, in the steeple, right? So even before Robert Gary, there was there was Mark Krogan, right? Is that yeah, yeah? And I think he has the school record eight ten, which is insane, right? Is it eight ten? Yeah, yeah. He um, ran eight ten, and then um, then there was Robert, and then Brian Olinger, and then yeah, oh, Aaron Fisher, um, who was an Indianapolis guy. And so no, there was I mean a long history of just great steeple chasers. Did you, you know, Connor was the that teammate of mine yeah Ian and i don't think rob was it rob meyer was a good miler i don't think he did the yeah thing. yeah rob, rob was uh i think he ran did he run 333 or 334 yeah. for 1500 so um yeah. you know no there was certainly you know for a long time there there was just i mean from this 15 to the steeple and 5k i mean there were there were guys from ohio state kind of banging you know across the board yeah so the final two years seemed to click but the focus was was mile steeple but your, your heart was really in on on the steeple it sounds like or is that is that not yeah right? no no it, and, it, and it certainly it, it was i mean i think and even sure i think if you know at the time on paper um, maybe my mile time or 1500 meter time would have, i guess if you put it into um mm-hmm. you know vida it, it would say oh your mile time is better but i think for me it was chasing making teams and wanting to win and you know if i wanted to was chasing the dream of being an olympian even though i may have loved the mile or 1500 a little bit more i was going to get on the line and run whatever race I could make the had a better chance of making the team in. Yeah. So do you, um, this comes up a lot with coaches, right? Like, in, especially in college, it's always like trying to get in the fast race. Like who's, you know, who's, who's rabbiting this or who's going to be in this Oh, race? yeah. And how do you, but you find that naturally early on, you were more just about winning, running the race, winning the race, posi- positioning yourself to win versus like time trialing and getting in the fast heat. That <laughs> sounds like that was you early yeah well and i would say i mean and it's one of those things where when i look at that breakthrough and that i had in college to catapult me you know to that last successful two years was you know my freshman sophomore year when i ended the my sophomore year my pr was 403 still you, you know after being a 408 16 guy in, in uh, high school and we get to i think the second indoor meet of the indoor season and i knew my fitness was there i mean it was i i don't know what i would have done had this race gone poorly but it, and jeff c was in the race Ryan Foster it was going to be you know a bunch of Penn State guys some post collegiate guys and it was this is a sub four race get on you know I do everything with Jeff get on Jeff's shoulder don't look at the clock and just go run and I, I mean I shut my brain off and I just went and ran and that was my first big breakthrough I went 403 to 357 wow and you know I ended up winning the race and, and it's one of those things I, I tell my guys now time will come if you just go compete I, I think especially yeah. for people whether it's you know 14 minutes in the 5k or whatever your goal may be 20 minutes you know three hours in the marathon we get so caught up in uh i use the mile for example just because that math is a 60 second pace uh, you, you know you get so caught up in looking at the clock yeah and, and all of a sudden you see 61 or 6202 or three flat and you start to panic and you, you know you start to overthink things where you check out running. right like how do you, yeah. how do you keep your guys in these races when right off the bat the first lap they know is slow and all they're thinking is like oh, i'm not gonna hit the standard or this race is going out the window it's i mean i can understand it's tough to keep keep someone's head in the game at that point you know yeah and, and so from when we go through i mean there are very almost never with my collegiate kids um you, you know with the post-collegiate level it's a little bit different but we are never i, I hate coaching times i, I mean we, we're not we're executing a race plan based on whatever segments however each individual athlete prefers to break things up but it's positioning within the race you, you know executing and making sure where we're at where we need to be through checkpoints that are non-time associated. Mm. And, and so my I always say if you go and execute the race plan and or if you win a race, the time comes. Yeah. So 357, that was your first time you went under. Yeah, that was my first time under four. And where was that? It was at Penn State indoors. Oh wow. What a, what a track that is. Yeah, yeah. So uh you, you know, which I'm pretty sure is the equivalent of 350 at B- BU. <laughs> um yeah, so that's I guess I've run both. I mean, is BU considered the new one? It's considered that much faster. I think it is. But what's funny is I actually ran a, one of my only flat three Ks at BU as a post collegiate. And mm. I was like, I'm going to, this is going to be unbelievable. I think I, you know, maybe if, you know, this track is everything it's supposed to be, I can run, you know, pretty close to 740, you know, we'll see. And I think I ran like 755. I was like, this track is not all it's made up to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the 
track. Uh, but yeah, so no, I think I think BU is. I mean, but again, it's just you get a bunch of good guys who want to run fast in the race, and it goes. Everybody's going to run fast, and I think I, you, you know, and I think it's just a matter of if you could say the new Clemson track or Seattle, wherever it may be, you tell everybody it's the new it track, and everybody goes there to run fast. Everybody's going to run fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Um, okay, so well, let me first say I love I love hearing that you know, your relationships with Coach Gary and your dad, like probably just a big part in terms of your development, love for the sport, your continuation in the sport. Um, Because I I recently interviewed Jack Daniels about his autobiography, and um, he talks about Larry Snyder, who is great, you know, former coach at Ohio State, actually, uh, coached Jesse Owens. Um, And Snyder was actually, Jack spent some time with him, and he was actually a big mentor of Jack's. And there's a great quote Jack talks about, um, <clears throat> how he's a perfect mentor for me, but more in the area of personal relationships with your athletes. As he, as Larry used to say, treat them as people first and then as athletes. He used to tell me, always remember you're dealing with young people who are very enthusiastic and willing to do whatever you tell them. So it's your responsibility not to ask too much of them. At any one time, they'll always come back for more. <laughs> Um, so it's pretty cool. Another yeah. Ohio State guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and I and he hits the nail on the head. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we have to understand that. Yes, I hate to lose. You know, and I want to succeed at a very high level. But not everybody, you know, along the way, everybody's goals and everybody that we coach, you know, that's not necessarily their ceiling. And, and so having that relationship and understanding what can we get out of, how can we maximize each individual athlete's success and whatever that may be. And I think being able to tailor and communicate and individualize those things with them, you you have to have that or they're going to be unhappy and they're not going to get everything out of the collegiate or post-collegiate experience that that they should. And, and I think, uh, you know, some of my favorite athletes that I've ever coached uh, weren't all Americans. They weren't, you, you know, these national level athletes, but they were just, man, they showed up every day. They knew what they could do and they, they worked their butts off to do every single thing. And I mean, they're guys that I, you know, men and women women that I still talk to to this day more so than you know some of the kids that I've had that were all Americans or that had done some of these other things yeah that's pretty cool so so you finish at Ohio State what do you end up with what are your best performances at at Ohio State um how much are you running at that point now too because I want to go back to that development from when you were running just 25 miles a week now you're you're getting ready ready to graduate where are you at in terms of your performances and um and how you're feeling at that point in terms of continuing to, to yeah continue. so i think by the time i graduated i think during the fall it would be 65 to 70 um yeah. pretty consistently i would say if we started to string too many weeks at 70 together i would definitely start to kind of feel run down how much strength cross training you're doing with that a couple days a week yeah and, and i'll be honest one of those and we'd get in the pool but one of those pool days would be us going to you, you know the rec center <laughs> pool and, and playing on the little uh pool basket basketball hoop um so but 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 it's the same way i mean if we you know student athletes even now if they want to go get in the pool i mean just going and get in there and moving around i mean it's it's better better than nothing and and so if that's what when they when my kids go and get in the pool i mean a half hour 45 minutes whether it's aqua jogging swimming you guys want to mess around on the paddle board whatever it may be um you you know hey just just go and get in there get moving around you know get the body loosened up got it um and yeah, so in 65 to 70, you know, in the spring, it would probably be closer to 55 or 60 and ended up running 831 for the steeplechase, 339 okay. for 1500 and 356. I think I ran indoors that year for the full mile. And you were at the 2012 trials, which was that your senior year or you had just graduated? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it was my senior year, just graduated. And so, okay. um, yeah, and I, you, you know, what's that you were ninth in the steeple at the trial yeah, yeah yeah so it was one of those where uh very much went in and with the goal of, of making the final and so um you know was able to do that and then get in the final and you know to place in the top 10 i think as a graduating so 
sophomore or graduating senior was certainly it was it was pretty special for me. So ninth, and then so the goal was to make the finals, and then were you really looking to 2016 to try and make the team? Was that was that the main focus or no? I would say in theory, but I mean, I, I yeah. would say after I made the final, uh, I can remember spending the next two days thinking, uh, why can't I make the team? Yeah, I mean, yeah. as as you know, I wouldn't say as unrealistic, but as you know, much of a dream as it may have been, I certainly uh, got on the line with every intention of at least giving myself a chance. I mean, um, you know, and I'm trying to think who uh, made the team that year with um, with Evan and um, in twelve or sixteen in, in twenty twelve. Um, let's see if I can pull it up. But um, yeah, but you know, it, it was, and so I think you ended up having to run the standard anyways to make team, and so I mean. I I think the steeplechase has kind of gone that way of there's no such thing really as a standard because if you want to make the team you're going to have to run 810 or at least under 815 to do it um so a i certainly what's that to get the a standard yeah yeah i think i think a lot of times you, you know you line up in the u.s final thinking uh if you don't have the standard uh, you don't have a chance but the steeple is one of those races where you can't really get cute with it and you know jog a steeple it's going to be honest and i think at the the level the u.s has gotten to in the event you're going to run the standard if you want to make the team it was it was Evan, um, Don Cabral, and uh, Kyle Acorn. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So Kyle, uh, ASU alum. So. Oh wow! I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, it was eight seventeen, eight nineteen, eight twenty two in the final. Yeah, and and I think the standard in twenty twelve was eight twenty three. Okay, interesting. Um. All right, cool. So then Nike comes into play shortly after that, or no? Yeah. So it was actually almost a year before I finally ended up, you know, signing with Nike, and I, I was fortunate that you know at the time i graduated from ohio state you know robert had taken the job as director down at Furman and was kind of getting his post-collegiate program off the ground there as well as you know he brought me in um to be on staff you know knowing that coaching was something that maybe not at the forefront of my mind for the future it was at least it was on the radar and so to be able to kind of transition to a post-collegiate career and have the the support from Furman elite that had just started but then as well as being able to kind of start to get my feet wed and be involved on the coaching side it, it was just it was a perfect fit and i think um whatever opportunities may have been out there to even join some other groups or whatever it may have been it it was, it was without a doubt the best fit for me and i think we had finally kind of seemed like found our groove and figured things out from a training perspective that i, I didn't want to have to kind of go through that same growing process with anybody else or you know start over again with a new coach at the next level either yes yeah, so you were there as an assistant but but really focused primarily on um on training and geared towards the trials at that point still yeah yeah and and i think it was and and that was certainly i would say the case for the first two to three years and and i think it was one of those things where as the program got better and you know the more involved i was in in recruiting and and the day-to-day coaching aspect of it it's the more i started to fall more in love with coaching than my own running and Mm. um and i think that that was when uh, you you know with this hey I, i the goal was to make the team and the goal was was certainly to to give everything I had through 2016 but it was definitely one of those where I knew I was kind of ready and that the next phase and um as back and forth as I think at times it would have thought oh maybe you, you know early on I was like oh I'll go through 2020 and this and that I mean this was one of those things where once at the trials in 2016 when it was all over with it was like I'm, I'm ready to transition into uh, something that I now love in coaching more than my own running full-time so what was it what happened at first Furman, like the all of a sudden, uh, the, there was no Furman program that I knew of when I was, you know, competing at that time. And then I think it started to develop as I was in my, you know, running um, career. So what happened down there? And how did Robert, how did you guys really turn that program into to a powerhouse down there? Yeah. And so in, in 2012, um, you, you know, I think there were some Furman alumni who had gone on to be successful and, you, you know, they really attributed their professional success to not necessarily their collegiate running experience. And I think it was the combination of both the athletic and academic experience that they had at Furman that they, they said they got together and they said, we want, we want Furman to, we want to give them all the resources, all the tools necessary to see how good they can be at track and field and cross country. Mm. And 
along the way, you know, I think they reach out to Robert and because some of the donors that um, help support Furman, you know, sit on some USATF boards and, and are involved with USATF. And Robert had obviously made a couple Olympic teams, you know, coached uh, some world teams and Olympic teams at that time. And so for them, it was natural to reach out to him. And I think he probably put together a dream checklist of what he thought it would take for Furman to be successful. And they yeah. checked a lot of those things off for him. And so, you know, between him and his wife, Rita and Chris Neal, I think they, they really kind of jumped in and, and tackled this thing. And, you know, I was able to kind of get in and help. And I mean, it was it was a struggle and, and it was tough, I think, getting it off the ground initially. But I think um, in year four, you know, when we were 13th at NCAAs on the on the men's side, and then you look at what they've done since then with, you know, you've had individuals, you know, in the top yeah. 10, the women's team, you know, in the top 10. I mean, it, it's just it's been unbelievably special even now, you know, from afar to watch what they've done and continuously done, I think, in a sport where you typically, you know, you look at the power five schools, but, you know, to see them up in the mix with NAU and Portland and, you know, some of these premier, you know, niche schools, you know, banging it, banging it out with, with the big guns, it, it's fun. And, and so certainly, uh, you know, to now be on the other side competing against them and, you know, going against them in some recruiting battles, I, I think it, it certainly made it even, even more interesting and more fun. But I mean, Robert and I, we talk, you know, probably almost weekly and, you, you know, so it's, there's certainly still that relationship there and it's still a lot of fun nice. to see the su- success that they've had so it was a, so with a lot of it is they bring in a top coach now they have i mean do they have full scholarships is it is it um or is it recruiting still was it just a matter of time where it snowballed you got you you finally get a few guys you can develop yeah, well, i mean it's i think it's the same way anywhere i mean you yeah. have to you need those first couple people to jump off the deep end with you and, and to really buy in and, and they certainly you, you know we were able to do it there and you know hey now it's a snowball effect and it's you know and i think kind of going through that there and and then being at arizona state where we're um you know a program that's won national titles and been unbelievably successful to now how do we get back to that point and, and for me it was it, it was a lot of the same i needed those first couple guys i needed will paulson i needed garrett o'toole um to jump off the deep end with me and, and to say hey i know there might not be a lot here right now but we're going to get it there and we're going to be the guys that kind of start that snowball effect yeah yeah i mean Arizona State's had some some pretty good history. Oh, compared oh to I mean, you look at, I mean, in, in the coaches that have come through here, you, you know, um, yeah. with Walt Drenth and, you know, Louis Quintana and Jeremy Rasmussen, yeah. you know, a lot of great coaches that have, you know, been unbelievable. And so, you know, for me to kind of be able to follow in their footsteps and try and match w- what's one, once been done here, I mean, it's a lot like what we went through at Furman. It's, it's getting, you know, starting that snowball effect and getting the ball rolling. And, and I've been unbelievably lucky with, you know, the people that have jumped in with me. Um, you know, and then continuously, you know, helping it go. And so it's just surrounding ourselves um, with the right people, I think is really, you know, kind of the name of the game with what we do. Do you, did you, when you got down to Furman and, um, and then I guess this kind of is a two part question because Robert goes down to Furman and he's, he's having a ton of success. Um, You've now been with him for several years. How do you keep, um, did, did coaching or training reinvent itself at all? when you guys got down there or was it just kind of applying the same the same workouts and just grinding it out and, and trying to be consistent or did you how, how do you oh. continue to try and improve um you know doing the same things you know day in and day out or or how do you guys um how do you adapt or continue to evolve the the training was was there anything specific that you could point to 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 keep improving well and i think uh, to, you know with him i mean we we're, were always trying to add and kind of add one or two new things that we hadn't done the previous year and get in place to kind of mm. help be take the next jump. And so whether it was certain workouts um, or, you know, increasing long run or throwing a little bit of pace and, and work out into the long run, it was, and, and for me too, I mean, I still had, you, you know, at that point still only running 70 miles, I still had to become more aerobically fit as well. And so for me, it was always trying to get to that place where I could not only handle the workload that we had in place, but now can I handle that same workout workload but on 80 miles a week and so mm. for me it was it was always that transition and we kept a lot of the workouts in place and for me I know for me it was beneficial just because hey I, you know before I was able to run 357 running five by k at 250 on three minutes rest and now you, you know now I'm running five by k at yeah, 237 on, yeah. on three minutes rest and, and so now yeah. you know I'm even more confident when I get on the line at Melrose or some of these other places that I, I know yeah. what I can do and what the level I can compete. 
compete at. That's cool. Um, so you talked about you're kind of now competing against each other a little bit. Um, recruiting. Do you find yourself recruiting? Is it is it comp- Are you just as competitive with recruiting? How, how challenging is that for you um, to, to tie in? Or do you want to just coach? <laughs> no. Oh, well, I mean, right, I think I think that's I think that's maybe the, the biggest uh, misconception amongst college coaches. I think everyone thinks and we do. I mean, I have the greatest job in the world, uh, but I think a lot of people think it's it's going to practice for a few hours and then kind of being bored and meeting with kids the rest of the day. I mean, uh, coaching is what all college coaches and all coaches love to do. But I think at the collegiate level, it is about 15 percent of the actual job, um, you yeah. know, from administration duties to compliance duties. I mean, recruiting, there's everything else. I mean, coaching is such a minuscule part of what we actually get to do, even though it's the part we enjoy most. But um, I love the recruiting process. I think um, to me, it's not nearly as competitive just because, right? I mean, you can have the 10 best athletes in the country, but knowing which of those 10 athletes are truly going to be a good fit for you and your program. And so I wouldn't say it's necessarily, of course, you want to reach out and you want to talk to the best kids, but just because they're the best kids, you want to be able to say, you have to make that conscious effort and decision to say, I love this kid. He could be unbelievable, but he's just not right for our program. Because if you're, if you're investing in them and, and even though you know, they're not right for your program, you know, as much as you're going to be unhappy as a coach, you're also doing the student athlete a disservice. And so sometimes it's a matter of, even though you love a kid and you know, he's going to be great, but it's not the right program for you. You have to be able to make that decision and not just make, you know, fire from shoot from the hip because you don't want another place to have them because you're too competitive to let them go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how has the team, how has the team progressed since you've been at, at Arizona state now for how long? Yeah. So just finished up year three, year three. Do you feel, Corey, you have, you have an advantage being a younger coach, whether it's being able to relate to the athletes, whether it's they like your athletic background? Do you feel like that's a big advantage in terms of recruiting? Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly there's things that I've, I'm probably able to relate a little bit more on. Uh, but I would say, I think being a younger coach at this level, I think one of the things that probably helps me the most is that I haven't been doing it long enough that there's nothing that I'm like, I'm too afraid to ask other people for, you know, to reach out to for, for questions or, or for answers, you know, um, whether it's Robert or Andy Gerard or, you know, Coach Rasmussen, whoever it may be, you know, I've, I've had a lot of great people around me that I can reach out to for things. You, you know, um, I'm always at every meet, you know, Ed Eystone was the coach of the World Cross Country team that I made. So I'm always, you know, picking his brain. I know I sat down with him multiple times, to, you, you know, at that when we were in Uganda for that meet. And so I'm just, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I certainly, I'm not in a place where I think I know more than anybody else. And, and so just trying to always take in new things and to ask questions. I think that probably helps me as a younger coach more than anything. Um, but from a recruiting standpoint, I do, I think being a little bit younger and, and being a little bit more relatable may play into effect and may, may help me out certainly in some instances. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what is, what is the team? So what's the team doing now? How are you guys adapting to our current situation? Um, how's the team holding up? Yeah, um, um, what are you guys up to right now? <laughs> it, it's tough. I mean, and I think everybody's a little bit different. Uh, again, it's very to try and communicate and, and talk to everybody the same way would be a little bit foolish as a coach right now. I mean, from yeah. the moment the news came down, uh, you, you know, we were on spring break nine days away from the first meet of the season. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, initially it was, all right, the first meet's canceled to seven days later, the season's canceled. You, you know, everybody handled it a little bit differently. Uh, you, you know, especially you look at some of our seniors who were graduating and then, you know, we're still with even a couple of them. We're trying to work through, you know, are they going to come back? Are they not going to come back? You know, because most track and field athletes aren't on, whether no scholarship, a, a full scholarship, you know, most certainly aren't. And so, you know, hey, do, are you financially going to invest in yourself? Can we get some other postgraduate scholarships to allow you to come back? And so from physically, mentally, emotionally, I mean, everybody handled it a little bit different. And, and I mean, it was yeah. exhausting for, for some of them. And so um, my and, biggest thing was, was as we kind of went through it was I didn't want to go, okay, the season's over. Let's take a break and start a fall buildup. I, I think, uh, you know, to kind of start your fall buildup in, in March and, and expect to go all the way until November at a high level uh, would be extremely tough to do. And so we did have some that were kind of the emotions of it all required a little bit more of a break. And then we kind of got back into a, the swing of things uh, before shutting it down to get ready for cross. Other people, we kind of, hey, um, let's really hone in on one or two things that we know we want to get better at, you, you know, as we head into the fall. 
all before we um, shut it down and take a break. Uh, some people just, hey, let's really put some time trials on the calendar for while you're at home to, to really give us a good checkpoint. And, and so everybody was a little bit different. And it's things are ever changing, I think, in our world. I mean, I've ridden the roller coaster of thinking there's no way there's going to be a fall season to probably more optimistic that, uh, than I've ever been to now okay. seeing the number of cases that are rising in, in Arizona. Now I'm kind of like, oh, gosh, we need to get it together out here. Um, and so it, yeah. it's a roller coaster and everybody's managing it a little bit differently. And so oh, I'm doing the best that I can to, you, you know, we communicate weekly a, as an entire group and then individually, you know, just checking in, making sure, you know, they're communicating with me how they're doing, you know, where things are at from more than uh, an emotional and, you know, standpoint than necessarily a house fitness. You, you know, I think for, for us at this level, I, I don't have to worry about or ask any questions in terms of what you're doing in the summer. I, I think uh, they yeah. know they know what they need to get done. You know, they they have an idea of wh- where things need to be. And so they're keeping all that stuff in place. And, you know, for us, it's just a matter of communicating, making sure, you know, returning in the fall is certainly going to be different than anything any coaches has experienced before. And, and so just making sure that everybody, uh, both individually and, you know, their families understand uh, what, what it's going to look like coming back and how we're going to navigate all those things. So right now, and right now, there are many programs out there. Well, first of all, the, when do you expect, is there a certain deadline where you expect the NCAA is going to have made a decision so you know how it's going to work? Or is it going to be on a conference um, le- level? Like what's in terms of like, hey, the season's happening or it's not happening. Or it is happening and it's going to look more like this starting on this date. Do you, Are you expecting like some kind of decision t- so you have clarity and and when is that? No. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I would imagine if there was going to be a decision like that, it probably wouldn't become until September. Um, wow. You know, may, may, maybe earlier if, if things take a turn for better or worse that they they feel like they're able to to do that. Um, I know at both the conference and region and, and national level, you know, we're, we're on calls, you know, weekly with our administration. We're on calls multiple times a week, just every Everything's so changing so quickly and, and daily, sometimes multiple times a day. That again, I mean, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but you know, and it's the same same thing I tell our, our team, and, and that's our sport. N- nothing is ever. You have to be able to go with the flow. If you think that uh, you can just have a plan and everything's going to go according to plan, it's foolish and, and you're crazy. And so it's the same way. You know, whether it's we're at a meet and you can't get the breakfast that you're used to having, you can't. You have to eat microwave oats instead of steel cut oats. I mean, you have to be able to eat those microwave oats and still think that you can perform. And so, um, and I think more so at the post-collegiate level right now, I think you're starting to see some some meats potentially pop up and some opportunities happen that, you know, the message for, for especially at the post-collegiate level is an opportunity presents itself. You can't, can't ask questions. You can't question fitness. Just get on the line and go. How are you guys, how are coaches recruiting right now if you really don't have an answer. I mean, it's just the expectation that fall is going to go off in some capacity and we're moving forward. We just don't know exactly how, or is it really, I mean, I can't imagine recruiting at this point. Yeah. And I think for, for us, I mean, the recruiting, the conversations and, you know, the, the generalness of, of what uh, a July recruiting or end of June, July recruiting would be, uh, yeah. doesn't really change much. Uh, you, you know, if anything, you know, I feel for, you know, the junior class that typically gets recruited based off of their spring track times. And, right. and so, you, you know, just trying to have those conversations. Because um, you've already gotten commitment. So it's really looking at the, the juniors or going into senior year now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so for us, I mean, typically in July, we'd be on the road doing in-home visits. And I've already gotten really good at, you know, trying to simulate in-home visits over FaceTime and Zoom and, and some of these other things. And, and so yeah. it, it's, it's trying to have that same, um, that same intimate touch that you would have, you you know, going into a student athlete's home, um, you know, just being able to be creative and, and do it with them from afar, you, you know, trying to do virtual tours of campus and, and a lot of those other things, because when it's all said and done, you know, not only do we not know what we're, if we're going to bring prospects in for recruiting visits in the fall, we also don't know that, you know, how many families are going to be willing to put their son or daughter on a plane and say, okay, go yeah. to a state that, you yeah. know, and run the risk of traveling and doing all that stuff. So I think trying to be as um, detail oriented and, and everything that we would typically do, uh, whether it be in July, 
July or and if we get to the point in October and November with official visits and we're having to do it virtually, I think, you, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it sucks and, you know, it's no fun. We just have to make the most of it and be as good as we can with, you know, yeah. the hand we're dealt. Have you heard anything or from your experience where athletes have made some last minute changes just due to the situation in terms of their outlook on, on where they're going to go or um, what they're going to do next year? Yeah, we, we, we haven't, I, I mean, at an Arizona State level in, in track and field, we haven't experienced any of that um, yet. But I mean, I think certainly it seems like the general consensus amongst all athletic departments are, hey, if you have a kid that doesn't feel comfortable, a family doesn't feel comfortable sending them to school, you know, it's not going to, we're not going to take their spot from the team and say, hey, when you are comfortable enough to come, you can't come. And, and it's very much um, an individual student athlete's decision to, to make. And so we're not going to remove them or tell them that they have to be here. Uh, again, we don't, first and foremost, I mean, we would skip cross country season if it means keeping our student athletes safe. I mean, as disappointed as I would be, as disappointed as the student athletes would be, no school, no university is going to jeopardize um, or put their student athletes in harm's way or in an unsafe situation if they don't truly feel like they can handle it and be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I wish you lots of luck here and we'll uh, be watching you and keep keep us posted on as things develop and we'll be cheering you guys on. Hopefully. No, absolutely. I, I, I appreciate it. And uh, no, I had fun talking to you guys. Thanks, Corey. All right. Bye, Brian. I've been over here